What's up everybody, my name is Brian and I am Linux Liaison. Welcome to another episode of Yet Another Tech Podcast. Today, we will be covering the second installment of the Read GDPR Explained series. Last episode, in episode 17 of Yet Another Tech Podcast, I discussed some of the interpretations regarding the abilities and the monopolies that the EU is granting themselves and member states through the enforcement of the GDPR as described back in 2016. Today, I'll be continuing with some of the finer details as to what defines consent and how information regarding to data collection requests are presented but most importantly, what liberties are actually granted to the creators and the collectors of personally identifiable information. Now, if you're not familiar with the GDPR, a brief and apt description would be that the GDPR is a regulation set forth with the intent to protect the information of individual EU netizens, EU being the European Union, from the prying eyes of data collection enthusiasts, if you will, to inform the creators of personal data, the types of data being collected, and to give them the right to request their personal data, as well as have it removed from a given database. And of course, the lattermost of those rights is called the right to erasure. Now, just like the last episode, I'll be using a post from Hacker9 as the kickoff point. And this time, they've actually gone through the presentation of some subsequent articles that are present in the GDPR. So last one, we had covered articles 1 through 5, neglecting 4, because 4 is just definitions. And we're continuing on from article 6. Now, any quotes that I that I come up with in this episode are directly from Hacker9's original post. So let's dive in. Hacker9 says, consent requests cannot be hidden in other documents. Now, of course, this part of the GDPR is a doozy for many reasons, especially in the eyes of uh, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Google, all those people. Now, remember those warnings given to Hollywood stars in their respective or movies or TV shows that they, they got to read the fine print and then they didn't read the fine print and there were subsequent gotchas that took place? Well, this is no longer going to be the case. You're not going to have that excuse anymore because with the enforcement of the GDPR, in order to get the consent from a given creator of personal data, a separate document, a separate request must be made in order for that request to qualify wholly as consent. Agreeing to the terms of service where companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, or Facebook have expertly hidden their data policies is no longer enough. But what's more is that some of these articles also include description of consent over communication preferences. The GDPR seems to take communication options very serious in that communication consent, meaning like can they send you emails or texts, communication consent must also be explicitly requested with plain text using clear and concise language. But something I've been wondering is how mobile apps will integrate this part into their system. 
will Apple force the GDPR compliance upon their developers and make them display a consent request upon the first running of their app? Or are they going to go the Google route? Where Google, when you install an app, will either ask right when you install the app for all the permissions that the developer has wanted to ask for, for their app. Or are they going to go the route of like whenever something is needed, let's say uh, you're about to take a picture with an app, the app requests access to the camera. And it's sort of a, a live consent sort of thing. I'm not sure which way they're going to be going. But the thing is, is I don't see mobile developers getting away from this sort of regulation at all. Now, another section describes that children aged 16 and under cannot give consent on their own behalf. If a child is aged between 13 and 16, a guardian can give consent on their behalf. But, and now I'm quoting Hacker9 again, the data collectors must also be able to approve the acquired consent from the guardian of the child as well. Now, if you go back to the days of like Neopets and whatnot, this was usually done by requiring that the email used to sign into the service and the email given as the consenter's contact information be different. The child puts their parent or guardian's email in the quote consenter's email field and then the parent or guardian gets the email, almost like an activation link that companies already use and this will help legitimize the the consent that is being given. However, if the child is below the age of 13, no consent can be given and the potential collector of information must hide their tail between their legs, walking away in defeat. Now Hacker9 says Article 12 also sets up the foundation for the subject's right to request removal of their data from a data collector's possession. Now, as discussed in further articles of the G GDPR, quote, data subjects will have several rights relating to their personal data. These are rights of access, rights of removal, and rights of rectification. In this context, access means that a given, a given service user is allowed to peruse the treasure trove of data that this service provider has collected throughout the whole time that a user has given consent. You should be allowed to see every single mm, delicious morsel of data that this provider has on you, as well as the connections that the service provider made using this data to other individuals directly connected to you. Now, removal has to do with the right to be forgotten or the right to erasure. Did you steal 20 candy canes? years ago and the story is still up for perusal on the internet the gdpr states that the subject has the right to request erasure of said article now obviously there's other cases that are a lot more severe than what i've presented here but i didn't want to go too far because i usually do but rectification that's a, that's, that sounds quite interesting. Rectification has to do with the correction of information. Uh, this is, of course, in the interest of accuracy of a public record. And though the article does not limit, it, limit its, as well as the right to erasures, reach to the public record, it includes private databases as well, in which information pertinent to the user is present. 
Unfortunately, this perfect organization of information within a database makes it ever so easy to simply erase records of activities of an individual and makes me a little suspicious of some Orwellian tendencies. Uh, but of course, we'll see what happens in the future. Hacker9 says, where the icons are presented electronically and they shall be machine readable. Now this one, I I wanted to take this out because I, I sort of ran with the idea and, okay. So the Creative Commons organization has a few buttons, quote, buttons, to signify what portions of the Creative Commons license applies to a specific work that's being presented along with the icon. Now it'll have like cc-by or cc or something like that. And these buttons clearly state the type of permissions afforded to the consumer of such works. I can see some companies implementing a similar iconification scheme where different icons signify the different types of information collected and what is actually and what is actually being done with that information. It's certainly up to the adherers of the GDPR to commit something like this into their projects, but I think it's a great idea. In conclusion, it seems that the GDPR is not as heinous as one might think it is but it certainly has the potential to be. Surprisingly, it's not as dry as some of the previous legalese pieces that I've read, and I think that's by design. The philosophy behind it shows in the formatting of the regulation, and I think it'll be an interesting turnout revisiting this one a year from now. And there goes another episode of yet another tech podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I just want to give you a great thanks. And if you have any feedback or commentary, the social links will be in the description down below in this post on linuxliaison.org. Now, this is going to be the first episode that I officially announce my Patreon. If you think that you've gotten any value or any amount of entertainment out of the previous episodes or even this episode, consider donating to my Patreon. Now, as a patron, there are a few different benefits, some including a personal thank you email, uh, direct email access to me, uh, patron-only polls, your name on my website. I mean, these things at the moment don't really sound prestigious to me, but I've got a vision of where I want to go with this podcast and with my blog. And I want to take you guys with me. I think you guys can help me, and I want to help you. That's what this is really all about, right? I want to provide some value in some way. And again, if you think it's worth it, go ahead, donate. If you don't, I'm more than happy to simply interact with you over on Mastodon, over on Twitter, on any of the socials that are linked down below. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a great night.